Right. I'm putting my boots on. Hello, Rosie. How are you? As soon as Rosie hears me putting my boots on, she knows it's walking time. She can even hear me from the top of the house sometimes. It's weird. And she zips down and uh, stands just looking at me as she is now. Looking at me saying, come on, are we going or what? I didn't get a walk yesterday. You're poncing around. And you promised me one. I know, I'm sorry. Well, we're going to go for a walk right now. Oh, just before we go, can I have a scratch scratch? Rose is just <laughs> lying down now with her paws in the air looking at me with a smile, or at least what I perceive to be a smile. Scratch scratch delivered. Let's go. All right. Cold out there, Rose. You ready? I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan It's a beautiful evening A riot of autumnal shades Browns and oranges and all the rest of it That's all you're getting Browns, oranges and all the rest of it Anyway, how are you doing, listeners? Adam Buxton here. Welcome to podcast number 56, which features a conversation between myself and British actor, writer and theatre director, Kathy Burke. This is Kathy's second time on the podcast, of course, our conversation in episode 15. That was more of a, a career overview, I suppose. For this one, which was recorded in February of this year, 2017. I emailed Kathy the night before uh, just a few random questions about some of her likes and dislikes and things that she'd been enjoying on TV, etc. And we used those as our ramble launch pad. So I cycled off to Kathy's house in North London and she brewed up a nice pot of herbal tea and we talked about the theatre. Kathy is, of course, a theatre director, as I mentioned, as well as an actor. In fact, she has just uh, directed a very funny play written by um, Sam Bain, who uh, co-wrote Peep Show and many other wonderful things. That's called The Retreat. If you want to go and see that, it runs until December the 2nd at the Park Theatre in London. We didn't talk about that, obviously, because it was in the future. But we did talk about the theatre. We also talked about cringy memories. We talked about uh, Kathy's life and death battle with a killer bug. I've made that sound like a tabloid headline, but it's true. That's what happened to her a few years ago. She was really very ill. 
and it gets quite graphic, our conversation, just to warn you if you're squeamish, not up for that kind of thing. But as you can imagine, with Kathy, there's a lot of crying. She felt very sorry for herself. It's a bit of irony sauce for your word burger there, mate. I asked Kathy about what the last film she really enjoyed was, and she spoke about a film that we both really loved. Well, she briefly mentioned the film Moonlight, which we'd both just seen at that point. That was very good and won lots of Oscars last year, of course. But then she talked about a slightly less well-known film uh, that both of us really loved, a kind of a hidden gem. I think more people know about it now, but anyway, you'll find out. And we talked about a few of the, the simple things that make life worth living. I'll be back at the end of the podcast for more whiffling and waffling. Uh, important news, uh, updates about my exciting life. Well, I mean, you get to hear a little audio glimpse of myself and some of my friends playing in our midlife crisis band in the uh, barn, as mentioned on the Miranda Sawyer podcast thought you might like to hear what we actually sound like anyway that's at the end for the time being we're going to chat to kathy burke uh, so here we are after the ramble chat jingle that is with our herbal tea discussing my christmas cold which i had at that time and uh, that took us into a discussion of the tv series the crown so you know christmas colds the crown i mean it's all come round again hasn't it So despite being recorded in February, it's incredibly topical, sort of. Here we go! This tea is nice. How about it's yours? It's all right. Yeah, my one's very nice. This is um, Ruby's Char, yeah. Red Bush, decaffeinated tea. So people pronounce that word in all sorts of different ways. R-O-O-I-B-O-S. I've always just called it Rubus. Rubius. Rubus. Some people say Rubosh. Rubosh, yeah. Ruibos. <laughs> I used to think it was Rubios for ages. Anyway. How have you been, Cathy? I've been all right. How yeah. have you been? Yeah, not bad. I had a very protracted cold that mm-hmm. I got. I think a lot of people got. Yeah. I was joking uh, the other day that I got it off the Queen. Oh, yeah. I was on stage and I suddenly started singing, I kissed the Queen and I liked it. You know that song? Yeah. And then I carried on, like I was just improvising it, and I, instead of saying, the taste of cherry chapstick... I said, the taste of a corgi chapstick, <laughs> which is horrible. Yeah. Because, you know, it brings to mind... Lipstick. Well, it brings to my mind little lipstick penises. Exactly. That dogs possess. That's right. Blech. And so suddenly the audience had this horrible image in their mind, which I didn't <laughs> want to put in there. But anyway... And why were you... Did you kiss the Queen? No, I didn't kiss, oh, right. kiss the Queen. But I got, I think, the same sort of cough cold that she had. 
But other than that, it wasn't too bad. Have you watched The Crown, talking of The Queen? I have watched The Crown. How'd you get on with that? Well, I started watching it because I'm a big Claire Foy fan. I didn't know about her before, though. Oh, she's amazing. What had you seen her in before? She is amazing. Wolf Hall. Of course she was in that. She was brilliant in Wolf Hall. Yeah. And I just think she's amazing. So anyway, I have to say, like the first episode, I thought, well, I'll watch it for her, but I'm not going to get into this because what is there not to know? And who cares, ultimately? That's what I thought. Exactly. I, I don't care at all. I don't care. And then suddenly I found myself... I've got to watch the next one. Yeah. And it was one of those. I have to say, I thought they were all brilliant. They were so well cast. Like every single so well cast. thing was amazing. Yeah. And did you do the thing that I did of looking up the real people as you were watching it? No. Because I didn't, you know, I know nothing about the royal family. Right. Nothing. But don't you feel that we've just been drip fed it all I, our lives? Clearly and... I resisted all the, right. the drips because mm. I kept on asking my wife questions like, so... Are they, is her, is her mum like Queen Victoria? Mm. And, you know, my wife was just rolling her eyes. At yeah, me. yeah. You don't know anything, do you? <laughs> I was like, no, not when it comes to the royal family. I really know nothing. Right. Anyway, apart from Claire Foy, who was very good very early on, and who um, eventually makes you invest in this character so much yeah. that now I'm interested in the Queen. Every time I see the Queen in the paper and stuff... I'm thinking about her interior life. Yes. And, to... and being so young. Yeah. You know, this young woman. And old Queen Mary, brilliantly played by Eileen Atkins, yes. saying to her, the crown always comes first. Which is a pretty hardcore thing to have to take on board. Yeah. But when you look back, now she's 90-odd, it's like, my goodness, that's all she's ever done. Mm-hmm. And she's been criticised for being that way. So much, but she's just sort of stuck to her guns with it. So, no, we did. We did enjoy The Crown very much. But for me, it was Claire Foy yeah. that totally made it throughout. If I didn't like the actress that played the Queen, I don't think I'd have no, stuck with it. No, it wouldn't have worked. No. She was so good. She was magnetic. It was good. I mean, I've never been a royalist. No. I'm still not. I never will be a royalist. But I can't help but admire the mm. old girl. But it doesn't look like a fun job. No, I wouldn't want to. I mean, would you? No. No. But it was never top of my list. No. Um, But my daughter still, you know, she hasn't seen The Crown, but she's a girly girl to the extent that she still thinks it would be a good thing to be a princess. Oh, really? Yeah. To marry a prince? I don't know where it comes from. I mean, I I, I presume it comes from various bits of crap that she watches on TV and And storybooks. I guess, yep, yep, yep. They're still full of princesses, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And, you know... What is it for a little girl that they're connecting with? The glamour? Is it the power? <laughs> I don't know. I think it might be a bit of everything. Yeah. It's just that you're seen as... Special. Special and beautiful. and Right. Who everyone is fighting over. Yeah. You know. Fair enough. Unacceptable, incompetent and amateurish. Buckles, why are you still in your post? Bull pants. I say to you, poop pants, poop pants. I say again, poop pants. Buckles tried to clarify that the language was a requirement, though he didn't sound sure. Poop pants. It's got to be poop pants. Poop pants. I don't know, maybe not. So, this is a thing that I often find challenging uh, that I wanted to ask your advice about. 
What, what do you do if a creative friend of yours, right? Or not necessarily creative, mm. someone who shows you something that they've made or that they're responsible for and you don't really like it. Right. So first situation is something that's done and dusted. So they're not asking you for advice necessarily, but, mm -hmm. they, but they do value your opinion. Mm. And it's not that good. Right. What are you going to do generally? What's your policy? Well, I think constructive criticism, you know. It's like, you know, you've got to... I don't like being cruel, mm -hmm. you know. So you've just got to tread carefully. Because if, like, someone's written a script, for instance, one can empathise that this has taken them a long bloody time. You know what I mean? And you don't want to steamroll in there and go, well, this is crap and that bit's crap and, you know. So I'll always try and look for the positives first. So well, this is what I liked about it or this is what I loved about it. And then I can say, and if you don't mind, these are the points that I weren't that keen on. Mm. What if the whole thing is fundamentally flawed? Well, then I just, I suppose I would squirm out and just pretend... I didn't get round to reading it. Right. I mean, the tricky thing is because what I, I go to more than anything, I suppose, is going to the theatre. Yeah. And then when you've got friends that are involved with the piece and you've not liked it, that can be quite difficult, particularly if they're sort of doing the show for a while where you don't want to get into somebody's head yeah. too much. I've often wondered what that's like, though, for a performer. Well, this is why you have to believe that a lot of actors don't read reviews. Yeah. Because it can bugger it up for them a little bit. I'm sure. Even if it's a good criticism, even if they say, oh, you know, sometimes critics go, well, that bit where he drank the cup of tea, that was hilarious. And if an actor reads that, you can guarantee that it's never hilarious again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you're yeah. too, you come out of yourself for a split you fuck it up, you know. So I always find that a bit tricky. But where I now I'm older and I'm allowed to be more grumpy um, and honest, you know, because I very rarely get free tickets for anything because another sort of misconception is that actors in plays can get you free tickets. You know, they can't. So because I've paid for my own ticket, I'm a punter. Yeah. So I'm allowed to express if I didn't like something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was something I saw before Christmas that I didn't like at all. And I had a couple of friends in it, but I thought they were great. But it wasn't my cup of tea. So I said it wasn't my cup of tea, mm -hmm. you know? So that's, did you see them that night? Yeah. Well, one got the ump with me, I found out later. Because I just said to him, well done, when he came out. But that was it. And as I said, you know, to everybody, well done, well done. Because they'd all been great, you know? Yeah. But to me, that isn't good enough. Just the actors being great. I want to get something else from it, mm, you know? Definitely. I went to see Nice Fish. I've never heard of that. It's Mark Rylance, and he wrote it with a, uh, an American chap, I think. Wow. And it's them ice fishing. Apparently, Mark Rylance used to live out and... So, Where's that on? I've not even heard of this. It's on at the uh, Harold Pinter Theatre. Oh, right. And See. I never go to the theatre. Right. It's just not part See, of See, I'm meant to be a theatre person. Like, these things pass me by, you yeah. know. But a friend of mine took me and my wife there. We were going to go and see Book of Mormon, but my friends had seen it already. Uh. I want to see it, though. 
Have you never seen it? No. But why didn't your friends go again? Well, I think they'd seen it a few times. Yeah, I've seen it four times. Right, right. Yeah. And they said, let's go and see this. It's supposed to be really good. Okay. And it was good. It was good. I mean, I, for the first 20 minutes, I was just, I got the glasses out of the seat in front and I was uh, eyeballing Mark Rylance. And <laughs> that was quite exciting, you know. Yeah. He's magnetic as well. Yeah. He was pretty good and it was a nice, clever set of a expanse of ice that was cleverly foreshortened, nice perspective trick going on so it looked like it went on for miles. Mm. But I just thought, I always think with everything, like, just chop half an hour out. Yeah. Why, why do you have to hit 90 minutes? You know what I mean? Or any longer than 90 minutes. Yeah. But some plays you do want to be longer. Yeah, do you? I saw... <laughs> I can't conceive oh, of that. I saw a great play at the Donmar. This was like last November or something called One Night in Miami. Uh-huh. And that would be your perfect play because it was straight through, no interval, an hour and 15 minutes, something like Love that. Love it. Five stars. But I wanted an interval and I wanted to go back. Oh, right, And for okay. there to be more because it was pitch perfect. Mm. The actors were brilliant. The script was fantastic. It was directed beautifully. It was great storytelling. What was it about then? It was just in a hotel room the night before Cassius Clay announces that he's converted to Islam and he's going to be Muhammad Ali. Oh. So it was Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke and Malcolm X and an American football player called Joe somebody or other and then two of Malcolm X's security guys right. who were outside the hotel room but came in every now and then. And it was fantastic. And is it based on any kind of truth at all? Yeah, I think it is. Oh, really? Yeah. So it wasn't just a sort of fantasy? No, 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 no. And I I feel out of order because I can't remember the name of the writer. I just can't. So I'm not going to pretend or say, stop, and then I'll... (laughs) There's there's Google. But it was just magnificent. Particularly the guy... I mean, I love them all, but the guy playing Muhammad Ali, it was just wonderful because... Again, a bit like The Crown, you're reminded, oh my God, he was a baby. He was 22. He was 22 when he switched his name. Yeah, 22, 23, something like that. Well, that's when the play was set. I might, listen, we've got to be careful because people will be screaming at you. (laughs) Well, luckily I've got uh, fact-checking Santa that pops into the podcast every now and again. Great. Provides corrections when we go to awry. Fact-checking Santa here. One Night in Miami was written by Kemp Powers and is a dramatization of a momentous meeting between Cassius Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and footballer Jim Brown that took place in February 1964, when Muhammad Ali was just 22 years old. Mary John Lewis advert. <laughs> but it was beautiful. See, mm. and then when you see a play like that, and it's the same with, like, you mentioned the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. you know? Like, Book, Book of Mormon is a, a ridiculously expensive show to go and see. I would tell people to save their money to see Book of Mormon and not see anything else for the rest of the year because it's just literally, like, one of the best things I've ever seen. Oh, man, I really want to see that. You've got to. Now, I'd like to go to the theatre more. But you just have to be careful. Mm. 
Because if it's not for you, it really can just be horrendous if you're not enjoying something. Mm. Like worse than the pictures somehow. Yeah, because the other thing about a live thing like that is that people feel as if they need to react mm. a bit more than you would in a cinema. You can sit there sort of comatose and yeah. still take the thing in. But people feel as if they should respond and laugh. And sometimes they laugh at jokes that don't seem that funny. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing. Everything is heightened. Yes. Um, have you ever then fallen out with someone over the feedback you've given them after a piece of work they've done? I don't know. I don't think so. Although, well, this chap I was sort of talking about who got offended that I didn't say anything more. Apparently, he's he's not very happy with me at the moment. So he didn't okay. tell you on the night, though, did he? He didn't say, like... No, he didn't. And then, and then I just said, well done, well done. And then he sort of scurried off to talk to somebody far more important. So that's not my fault. The Queen. The Queen. But no, he saw a friend of mine at a party and so I thought it was pathetic that Cathy didn't say anything. Really? That seems... That's a bold move to chastise... Because that must happen to everyone. You can tell when friends of yours... Mm. You, can, you suspect, like, oh, they didn't, I didn't really like, like it, it, but I'm not going yeah. to push it, you know. Yeah. Because I've got to just suck that up. Yeah. And it's not on me to say, come on, say what you really thought. Yeah. Because it's not fair, is it? You're putting no. Them in that and position. also I didn't get given an opportunity. Uh-huh. You know, he sort of scurried off to talk to somebody else. And then I saw him again a bit later as he was leaving. And I just said, oh, you must be tired. Because, you know, he was doing a lot of acting. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, running around, and which was very impressive. In his mind, that sounded like, you must be tired from being so mediocre. Probably it did sound like that. But maybe he's just a bit spoilt because... Yeah. I think he's used to people going, that was brilliant. Right. And you were brilliant. And I do know people that can look somebody right in the eye and say, oh, my God, you were brilliant. And then afterwards say, what a load of fucking shit. <laughs> now, I, I sort of can't do that. You know, I wish I could. Yeah. But it does make me really laugh. I've got this particular friend who's <laughs> just magnificent at... You know. That's a good superpower. <laughs> it's a brilliant superpower. Intense insincerity. Yeah. <laughs> Super convincing insincerity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd watch that Marvel movie. Yes. Now, did you have any cringy memories that you are able to share? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about all my cringy sort of memories are all to do with love and all that business. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really up for sharing sure. any of that. 
I tell you what, I was reminded of this the other day because um, one of the young people in my life, Georgie, who's 18, is very, very good at drumming. Mm-hmm. And I went up and saw her the other day and she was with her mate, Agnes, and they're brilliant, these girls. They're so cool, you know. So anyway, so we were chatting away about her drumming skills and it reminded me of the very first job I did. I think I talked to you about this before, but anyway, the very first job I did was a film called Scrubbers. Sure. And in the movie, at one point, there was um, like a concert. And I, back then, was 17. And I fancied myself as a bit of a drummer, you see. Uh Even though I never owned a drum kit, but I liked to sort of... Because I had some sticks, and just when I was listening to music in my room, I just used to like banging along. Yeah, you're thinking, I've got a lot of rhythm. Yeah, I can do this, I can do this. So I said to the director, oh, if I had a big saucepan, I could do like a drum run with my hands. I could... And uh, it was like, yeah, yeah, that's what you do, you know. So I was sort of practising it and then action and then we did a take and blah, 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 and I was very happy with myself. And then the director, my Zettling, said, OK, I'd like a close-up of your hands, Cathy, on, on the saucepan. So I went, OK, so he was setting up to do a close-up. And one of the producers, who to me was just some old bald bloke, yeah. came over to me and said, hey, Cathy, if you um, flatten your hands more like this, yeah, they'll be looser, and therefore you'll get more of a... Drrr. And I went, yeah, all right, all right, Ray. I know, yeah, thanks, mate. Like, old man, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think you'll find I'm the one with natural rhythm. Absolutely. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing, you know. So anyway, off he went. Anyway, it was only... It was long after I finished the job. <laughs> like, one of our producers was George Harrison. Oh, right. So we got to meet George Harrison, so I knew who he was. Yeah. But the other producer who tried to show me how to drum was a guy called Ray Cooper, uh-huh. who's basically the top percussionist in the country. And how I realised who he was, was seeing footage of Elton John in concert and the guy on the, the biggest, hugest percussion equipment that you've ever seen in your life was there, was old, bald Ray, <laughs> you know, banging away, playing to thousands of people. And I went, I mean, I was bright red on my own, like, so embarrassed, you know. But he, obviously, he probably found it really amusing. Do you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, yeah, all right. (laughs) Yeah, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Good for him to just be confident enough to let you go on with it. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And he wasn't old then, actually. He was probably only late 30s or whatever. But when you're 17, that is very old. Yeah, 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 indeed. So, uh, yes, but I just remembered that. (laughs) Um, What was George Harrison like? Oh, my goodness. Oh, he was beautiful. So, yes, that was very exciting that his night, he was a producer. Was it handmade films? Yes, it was. I see. Yes. And we had a week's rehearsal and my Zettelin told us on the Thursday, George Harrison will be coming Tomorrow. And you knew who he was? Of course. My God, I grew up with the Beatles. I've got two big brothers. Right. Right. Of course. My God, I loved him. Loved him. So this was all very exciting. And there he was. And he turned up just looking very ordinary. Pair of corduroys on and little jacket and lovely long hair. And my Zettling wanted to make sure we all got to say hello to him. Uh 
So he was sort of, we were sort of in a line to go up and greet him and shake his hand. And he was very shy. So he was saying something to everybody. And I said, what's he saying? As we approached and you just see this. (laughs) So I thought, what's he saying? And then when it gets to me, he shook my hand and he went, I feel like Prince Charles. (laughs) (laughs) Just beautiful. My tablets. Ah. So yeah, we we all got to say hello. It was just lovely. So I've met two Beatles. No, yes, two. The other one being Macca, is it? The other one being Macca, yes. Because I remember I did when I was first on Twitter. I did a bit of a mean joke, which a lot of people didn't like. Because I said that one of the great things about me is that I've met two of the Beatles. And a really, really great thing about me is that neither of them was Ringo, which is out of order, but it made me laugh. <laughs> but yes, I met Macca a few years ago. I got very poorly. I got yeah. very, very sick. And um, You had MRSA? No, I had C. difficile. C. difficile. Which is the one everyone dies from, you yeah. see. So anyway, so um, I, I was sort of spending a lot of time in recovery and being bored and and meeting friends for lunch, you know, and early lunches, Mm -hmm. you know. And, of course, because I'm a smoker, I like to sit outside cafes. So, anyway, I remember I was with my friend Tom, I think, and we were sat outside a cafe, which I don't think is there anymore, which is such a shame. You know on Marylebone High Street, where the BBC radio would be? Mm -hmm. Right next door there was just a Greasy Spoon cafe. And it was brilliant and with a great little snug outdoor bit with a canopy, mm. perfect for the smokers. <laughs> and, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Gary Crowley, is it? The DJ Gary? The Crow? Is that his name? Yeah. Gary Crowley, he talks like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's great, I love him. Yeah, he's lovely. So, Gary Crowley was there. Oh, hello, Kev, nice to see you and all this business. Yeah, he's really sort of enthusiastic, isn't he? Lovely. Yeah. And then across the road, directly across the road from this cafe, is a rather posh cashmere shop. And Paul McCartney comes out of this cashmere shop. So I went, oh, look, there's Paul McCartney. I always wondered who could afford to buy jumpers from that shop. Yeah. Crowley, me, you go, Paul, Paul. And I'm mortified, and I'm like, God. <laughs> and he went, oh, waved, came over. Hello, how are you, girl? Hello. And he went, this is Tom, introduced it, and he went, hello. And he pointed at me and went, you're still smoking. <laughs> I mean, I was thrilled. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was such an amazing little moment. And he said about, um, he was doing some concert that night or whatever, and... And he said, yeah, 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 I got the new album, you know, but i got to do a couple of the old ones, always, you know, to get the rage. <laughs> it's just divine. So very brief encounters. But that's great, though, because you don't humiliate yourself. And also, as you say, you get a sense that you exist in his world. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, he told me off. Yeah, You yes. know, but yeah. it was great to be told off by one of the Beatles. Sure. Yeah, mate. I'm just taking my... See, now, these tablets, these are the result of having C. difficile. Mm. 
How did you get that then? Because I, I had a major stomach operation. So it is one of those MRSA type bugs. It is, it is. And I just got an infection. So this is quite a few years ago because now, you know, all the hospitals, you couldn't imagine them not having those hand sanitizers. Mm-hmm. We didn't have all those even back then. And I got like really sick. Really mm. sick, death store, nearly died about four times, you know, oh, my man. blood started clotting and it was sort of pretty horrendous really. How long did it did the really bad part of it go on for? From from contracting it to Oh well the bug itself that sort of lasted about two weeks. The intense like having the bug. And how did that feel? Like, were you sort of delirious with fever or? Um, yeah, I was definitely delirious a couple of times. Yeah. It was just horrible. Just totally weak and. Weak and just puking and shitting everywhere. Right. You know, constantly. I mean, constantly. Yeah. It was really hardcore. Oh, man. And I, you know, fucking hell, I lost about like three and a half stone. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in those two weeks, it was just. Sucked all the life out of me, you mm. know. And then recovering from it was was pretty tough. Because then I was getting... Because they, they didn't know. I've, I've sort of got a lot of stuff wrong with me. You know, it took sort of getting something like that for me to then be properly looked at. And and there was all sorts of other going things going on with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which made me susceptible to it as well. Yeah. But what was my saving grace was being overweight because if I wasn't overweight, I'd have died because everything I would have lost. You would have just wasted away. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that saved me was being a vegetarian. Right. You know, since I was 18, I've just sort of lived on spinach and broccoli and they're great cleaners of the blood. That's why my bowel wasn't fucked up which it it could have been or should have been you know if you've um, been a meat eater yeah right oh my god were you i mean no one likes getting ill but then if you get seriously ill the thing that i do right which i guess the cliche is that a lot of men are like this hypochondriacs and when they get the slightest thing wrong they start fantasizing about what else it is this isn't a cold, you know, this is the beginning of something way more serious. Mm. Were you like that before you got that? Or were you always fairly level-headed about your health? So level-headed. I never went to the doctor. In fact, because originally I had to go in for this stomach operation because I'd let something go on for too long, mm-hmm. you know? I was in pain for quite a while, for a couple of years, in fact. And do you think that's because you were the sort of person that didn't want to go to the doctor because you were frightened of what they might find. It was a bit of that and a bit of being a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And I was on a bit of a roll as a theatre director. And I had a great job coming up at the Almeida Theatre. And I knew I didn't feel right. I just didn't not want to do that job, which I ended up not doing anyway. I mean, I cast it and everything and got the design team together, but... I never actually got to the rehearsal room. So yes, and also because it was in my stomach, I've got something called diverticulitis. Mm, my dad um, had that, yeah. Which is hereditary as well. Uh-huh. Um, I look forward to it. Yeah, and I'd never heard of it. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. I was ignoring these stomach pains because I just assumed I had cancer. 
mm-hmm. because my mum died from stomach cancer. Right. So I was a bit, oh, fuck it. I don't, this is obviously it. She died at the age of 36 as oh, well, 37. Really? And I was, I think I was around that age, maybe a little bit older. Were, I was, you, were you not panicking a little bit? Not panicking, no, I'm not a panicker. Uh-huh. I mean, even all the time I was in the hospital with the C. diff and being told you might die in the night and all this, my blood pressure never went up. Hmm. I don't see the point in panicking, you know. So I just thought, fuck it, I'll just die in the night. You know, <laughs> I'm not going, they're not going to cut me open and start prodding around because <laughs> it'll be cancer and then it'll just go everywhere once it's been poked, you know what I mean? It'll run and swim to me head and you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was just ridiculous. Anyway, and then it was like, oh no, it's diverticulitis, which can be dealt with with antibiotics, mm-hmm. you know, if you get to it quick enough. But I hadn't. And um, my poor intestine was really infected. Plus, a really large cyst was forming, you know, in my stomach. The cysts were doing it for themselves? Yes, mate. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) We've got to keep it light, though, Adam. Sure. So, yes. So it was a mixture of those two things. And now I look back, like my consultant at the time, brilliant guy called Richard Marley, he was just like, I can't believe that you've been walking around. He said, anyone else, this would have floored people. You know, they would have been fainting from the pain. Mm. But I was just, I'm a bit hardy, (laughs) you know, but probably a bit too hardy. You know, it was was a bit daft. That would never happen again. As Mm -hmm. soon as I feel something's wrong, I, I do. I go and see the doc and stuff, you know. But it just means, you know, I don't know, it was a long time recovery and I'm on steroids because one of the things the C. diff did, it was a combination of getting the C. diff and my body overworking. So my adrenal glands got wiped out. They sort of clotted and bled. Mm-hmm. So now I've got something called Addison's disease, mm-hmm. which is you don't have natural adrenaline. Oh, right. So that's why I'm on steroids. And it's also sort of contributes to me being a fatty because, you know, I've been on them now nearly 10 years and... They're not great. It messes you know. with your metabolism. It really it? does, yeah. So what's it like not being able to produce adrenaline? Does that mean that you're super cool now? And that you are you don't get nervous in certain situations? or I get of... nervous in my head, but I don't sort don't of feel, feel physical... it in my stomach. Right. Yeah. That doesn't help with being a fatty either, because adrenaline helps you burn the energy uh-huh. and all that business. So I'm just a sort of blamond, you know. <laughs> But my brain can panic and worry, but I just don't feel it. I've hosted If I Got News For You a couple of times. I think you've done that. And it's quite a heavy job. It's really heavy. Never again. Not that they'd ask me. Oh, no, I'm never going to do it again. I think I did it twice, maybe three times. I was like, that's it. You know, because my head was just fucked. But it's a really intense job to do because you've got to control the whole thing and... All the rest of it, as you know. Yeah. But the very first time I did it, you know, sort of halfway through the record and the makeup lady comes over and gives everyone a little dab because everyone's sort of sweating and all the rest of it. And she looked at me and she said, God, you've not broken out in a sweat at all. Hmm. And I was just like, yeah, I ain't got, well, got no adrenal glands, <laughs> you know. So it really helped 
for that, actually. Right. It was like, oh, this is good. But in a way, I sort of feel a bit nervous energy is a really good thing. Yeah. You know? Do you think that that's had any impact on your desire to perform live in various arenas, whether it's TV, film or on the stage? I don't know. Well, I've never really thought about doing it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I used to do theatre acting, I did... I liked the nerves, you know, that was all part of it. I yeah. really like that sort of butterfly feeling, you know. Well, it's a, it's a weird thing because sometimes it's fun when you know fundamentally that you can do it. Yeah. But then there are other times when you're not sure that it's awful. It's like you just think, I hate this feeling. Mm. I, I just, why am I doing this? Yeah. Do you ever get that, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get all that. Yeah. I think I got that the last time I did Have I Got News For You. Right. I just thought, I remember halfway through just feeling like I lost, was losing the will to live. You know, I was like, oh God, please. Oh, don't do this again. Don't yeah. do this again. Oh, those panel shows. Torture. the last film you really enjoyed right well there's two uh-huh. one is a film called moonlight but the other film that has shot straight into my top 10 of all-time favorite films uh-huh. is hunt for the wilderpeople i love that film yeah it was a total surprise yeah how did you uh, get turned on to it then well, I was meant to go to the pictures to see it. I, for whatever reason, I, I ended up not going. I was poorly or whatever, you know. So, of course, I've got the old Netflix. And then just after Christmas, I saw it pop up. It was there. And I thought, oh, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sunday afternoon or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll give this a go. Well, I loved it so much. Like, so much. It made me laugh, it, it made me, you know, sad, and it just had everything. And I love that when you watch a film that sort of makes you feel like a kid again, mm-hmm. you know, that you think, oh my God, if I was nine years old watching this, this would be the greatest film I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You know, without all the bangs and whistles and special effects and all that sort of stuff, you know, it was like, oh, this is, this is sort of like Kez. You know, in it, it, what it's doing to me, how it's making me feel. But of course, very beautiful to look at. You know, you've you've got New Zealand yeah. to look at. You know, and I tweeted about it. I, I've often tweeted about movies and whatever. The the only big reaction I got was like the year before last when I said I'm watching the Danish Girl. It's shit, <laughs> and because it really was the biggest load of crap I'd ever seen in my life. And that got loads of reactions. Do you know what I mean? Because majority of the people were agreeing with me, yeah. you know. And so that was the most I'd ever got. I tweeted about films, you know, here and there. And people were going, yeah, I like that. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, this, my goodness. I mean, it got like a couple of hundred retweets and like a thousand people liking what I was saying. Mm. And so many replies, just like oh my God, I love this film so much. 
Or then like a couple of days later, people going, thank you for recommending it. That made me feel so good. And it really is one of those films. I put in my tweet, look, if you're feeling crap, Hunt for the World or People will make you feel so much better. And it's that sort of uplifting thing that it's got. It's just... People have so taken it to their hearts. Yeah, it was wonderful, wasn't it? Ricky Baker. That's the bit. Happy birthday. That's when you're grabbed. Yeah. And it's, it's suddenly... when he's singing along to his birthday song. <laughs> I um, recommended it to my son. How Nat. old? He's uh, 12. Yeah. And he takes a kind of perverse pride. You know, he's in the process now of establishing who he is, what he's into, what he's not into. Mm. And part of that um, is happening kind of in direct opposition to his brother, as mm-hmm. is the you know as is often the way within families. And it's very hard to know what he's into. Like his brother's into sort of indie pop, a lot of the same stuff that I am. So that's easy for me to recommend stuff, but it's much harder with Nat. But I suggested he had some mates coming round, mm. and I said you could watch Hunt for the Wilder People. Mm. And I was thinking, uh, uh, is it going to be too indie and silly and weird, you know? Because he takes the mick out of some of the music I listen to. Right. If it's anything that sounds jangly and guitar-y and left field, mm. he goes, oh, God, it's the Boring Boys. That's his kind of catch-all <laughs> name for all indie bands. Yeah. Is this the Boring Boys, Dad? Oh. I was like, why don't you like this? It's fun. It's like, oh, it's just hippie, folky mm. music. And it's like not, you know, he'll be listen- yeah. I'll be listening to The Fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh, I hate this hippie folk music. <laughs> this is not hippie folk music, Nat. This is edgy, mm. indie genius. Oh, the boring boys. But anyway, long story short, loved it. Loved mm. Hunt for the Wilder People. And it went down really well with him and his mates. I felt great. Oh, know? that's wonderful. Because I only watched Hunt for the Wilder People again the other day because mm-hmm. my friend Sean was over from France. How was so. it second time? Fantastic. Still good. Although it's weird, isn't it? Because when you've loved a film so much, you sort of can't help. You're always sort of taking a little cyber glance at yeah, the other yeah, person yeah. to see if they're into <laughs> it, if they're getting it. Yeah. And I did say to Sean, because he can be quite honest, you know, I said, look, if you're not feeling it, if you don't like it, just say quickly, don't sit through it if you're not, and then turn around to me at the end and go, well, I didn't, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, Because I said that, I'm not interested, just stop it so I can watch it again. In a joyous atmosphere. Yeah, because <laughs> you, you, know. can, you can overhype stuff, can't you? We've probably, yes. we've probably overhyped it now. But um, yes, it's like playing a piece of music for someone and, and staring at them while they're listening to it. Mm. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. What do you think? Yeah. <gasps> what about that? <laughs> this bit, this bit, mm. this bit coming up. It's an re- environment that's almost guaranteed to reduce their enjoyment yeah. of the thing. But no, I, I would say, yeah that most people will get something out of that one. And Have he did seen... absolutely Oh, he it. liked it. Good oh, one. my God, yeah. What always lifts your spirits? For example, one of my things is 
taking a pee outdoors at night beneath a starry sky. Well, I can't relate to that one, you see. Because it sounds lovely. I mean, I, I envy it. Yeah, why don't ladies want to pop out for a pee at night under a starry sky? Because it's a big palaver, isn't man. it? And yeah. I thought it was less of a palaver than we were led to believe. Mm. So you're not one of these ladies that can stand upright and go in a urinal? No, darling, I'm not one of those ladies. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? He, uh, yes. That was in a film, wasn't it? That was in The Full Monty. Oh, was it? Yeah. That was in The Full Monty, yes. No, I can't do that. <laughs> and I've never attempted it. I've never tried. No, oh, well, you're missing out. That's one of the fun things. Yeah. About having a um, male appendage. Um, receiving packages... Yes, I do like receiving packages. I'm a big fan of the old online shopping. I mean, unless you're a target for terrorism, I would say that mm. uh, receiving packages has got to be universally yeah. enjoyable. I think so. Or, unless, or unless, you're, unless you become involved in some sort of scandal and people are sending you turds and things. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, let's not encourage no. that idea. That would be awful, though, wouldn't it? Because that plays upon the fact, I think, that people generally do like receiving packages. Yes. So it's like the most cruel thing you could do yeah. is suddenly say, OK, now I'm going to send you a turd. What are some of yours? Hit me with one of yours. So a very simple one is, do you like fish? Do you eat fish? I love fish. I love it when I've fried a piece of fish... And I have got the skin brilliantly crispy mm. and not overcooked the flesh. And the combination of the... Because you can't eat the skin unless it's crispy, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I can't. And that is just so satisfying when I get it right. And also the same with a poached egg, basically. Mm -hmm. Poaching an egg. Where it's perfection, where yeah. the white is cooked. What's your technique? Um, Garth Jennings, my friend, taught me years ago the technique for a perfect boiled egg. Mm. Which boiled I, or poached? Boiled, this is. Right. So his technique, to get it absolutely right, mm. is you've got the water boiling already. Yep. yep. You put the egg in yep. for six minutes. Okay. And then after six minutes, you take it off the boil. Yeah. Leave it in there for a further one minute. Right. Take it out. It's perfect. Yeah, six minutes sounds like a long time. It does. But... But it's going in it's going as, in, the, as water's the water's boiling. boiling. Yep, yep, yep. So I always do that. I always boil the water, then put it in with a boiled egg. And I probably do about five minutes. But then what I do, which some people find a bit controversial, <laughs> but I did tweet it, and some people have started doing their boiled eggs... Just like this. Yeah. What I do, which I suppose is a bit of the equivalent of taking it off the heat for one minute, I immediately run it under the cold tap oh. and take the shell off. I take the whole shell off and then put it to the side. So when my toast is done, I just split the egg. Two pieces of toast, half an egg on one side, half the boiled egg on the other. I hate all these soldiers fucking about. You get bits of shell. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so I don't do that. And you get this perfectly cooked where the yolk is just. You this know, is on your. Soft. This is a boiled egg. This is a boiled egg. Five minutes. That's what you said. Six. Yeah, but is it not just totally runny? 
no, five minutes? No. Maybe you're using smaller eggs. Mate, I was just about to say, it depends on the size of the egg. Yeah. If I had a big egg, I'd give it longer. Okay. Because I don't like a really soft egg. I don't... No. I, too I, soft, too runny is no good. No, I Also, really it's unwieldy don't. on the toast. You're yeah. going to just end up with uh, yolk it's everywhere. Everywhere. So, no, that's a little bit of salt and pepper. Yes, sir. How about uh, brown sauce? No, oh. never. No. Why? What's your problem? I'm not into sauce. I don't have brown sauce. I don't have ketchup. My son reached for the ketchup the other day when we were having a curry. No. Yes. And I didn't want to be... Because I remember my dad saying, no way. No, mm. put that away. No, you're not having ketchup with... Mm. If it was certain foods, you know. And he complained about the amount of ketchup we had anyway. But my wife, my wife, her dad has always been a ketchup fan. And he's right. quite stentorian in most other ways. Mm. Um, you know, old school, upper class, pillar of the uh, community. But for some reason, he's got it in his head that ketchup's all right. Right, right. I don't know why. It doesn't chime with anything else that he's like, you know, he's like, oh, it's jolly good stuff. Mm. There's a lot more tomatoes in it than people imagine. I was just about to say, it is tomatoes at the end of the day. It is tomatoes, but it's also... A sugar lot of and sugar. Vinegar. I think. I'm such a moron about that. food. What's the best meal you ever had? Oh my god. Oh god. I've had loads of brilliant meals. I can remember when I still ate meat. So this is going back a long time ago. My friend Ian, I don't know what it was, but it was like a chicken pasta dish mm-hmm. that he baked in the oven. And I remember that it was just glorious and then funny enough not long after that i stopped eating meat you know uh-huh. that was sort of so i'll always remember that i'll always remember my auntie joan sausage and chips that she used to make you know homemade chips and the sausages i think she cooked the sausages in like the fryer with the chips you know oh god it was just <laughs> delicious i can still remember that because it's very rare that I really enjoy a meal in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of a place that I, I won't mention it, but there is a sort of posh place that I like to go to now. And it is mainly because I've always had a, a great meal there. I really like the food. Mm. And do you have different stuff when you go there or do you stick to the same Sometimes dish? I stick to the same. And oh, then I get to. really discombobulated when they change the menu. Yeah. And it's like, oh, fuck, where's this gone? I know. I'm such an unimaginative person sometimes. Yeah, getting, well, it's that thing of, especially if you're paying a lot of money yeah, for a meal, yeah. you want to make sure... I don't really like to experiment too much, you know? You want that guaranteed, oh, I want it to be like last time. Yes. And food is one of those things that you actually, you can sometimes recreate the joy of an initial experience that you've had. You can't really do that with any other in any other medium. No. <laughs> no. It's never the same again. No. But with food, it sometimes is. Yeah. I was on this job a few years ago. So anyway, I stopped eating meat when I was about 18, 19, I think. Yeah. And I, I sort of never ate fish. I, I tried it when I was a kid, but I was one of those kids. I don't like fish. I don't eat fish. Mm-hmm. Don't like it. So I, that was always the way. But after a few years of not eating meat, so the only protein I was probably getting was from eggs, you know. Mm. And I was doing a really heavy job. It was very, very grueling. But anyway, I was on this particular job. You know, I did quite a few heavy, grueling jobs mm-hmm. in my younger years, you know, when I had the fucking energy. But anyway, on this particular job, 
And it was away, out on location and all the rest of it. And I was really knackered, you know, I was really sort of getting pretty exhausted. And somebody suggested, look, you know, why don't you eat, try some fish, eat some fish? And I was like, oh, I don't really like fish. And, and they said, yeah, but the last time you tried it, you were a kid. You know, no kid likes fish. And actually, if you tried it, because the whole reason I stopped eating meat was that I just went off it. I just couldn't stomach, I'd start to throw it up. You know, I couldn't stomach it anymore. Yeah. So anyway, so where we were working, there was a renowned, fantastic fish and chip place. The best fish and chips in the area. Harry Rams. No, it wasn't Harry Rams. Can you imagine? Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, no, no. So just a normal fish and chip where, where you could sit in and eat. And I thought, right, I'm going to go, I'm going to get cotton chips. I, I need to sort of try it. At least I'll have the chips if I don't, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and I was sharing a table with one of the actors and one of the actresses. And they were having a bit of a ding dong together. You know, they were sort of, a cu- they were now the couple on the job in a way, you know. So I was sort of sat at the same table as then. And, but what I didn't know was that just before we'd gone into the restaurant, they'd had an angry ding dong. Uh-huh. They'd had a bit of a row and they were very tense with each other. I was oblivious to this. <laughs> so along comes my fish and chips. And I was very much letting them know, well, this is, you know, oh, I don't know about this. This is a bit of a... And they were sort of, you know, humouring me and going, well, it's good, you're giving it a go. And then trying to communicate with each other, sorting out whatever it was they'd been rowing about. So it came and it got put in front of me and we all started to dig in. And I tentatively opened up the batter, poured some lemon onto the white flakes and very... Gently, gingerly, yeah. Some... <laughs> oh, right, okay. It was like, oh, okay. Oh, that was, oh, hang well, on. A bit more. And it was like, oh, my God. Bit this... of batter. Oh, this, this is great. So I said to the guys, I went, oh, oh. And she went, yeah, good. And I went, oh, my, oh, well, now I think if I can handle this, this is going to change my life. Oh, and they were like, love, and they were carrying on ch- eating and chatting to each other. So I'd obviously just fell into the land of this meal, which was like one of the best teas I'd ever had. Yeah. And would just exp- look at them every now and again. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And it just must have been driving her mad because to <laughs> me, out of nowhere, I'm like, oh, oh. And you know, <laughs> Will you shut up about the fucking fish? <laughs> shut up. I was like, oh. Oh. So, she, she was genuinely so, angry. I mean, just I was driving her insane <laughs> because I was so unaware that they were in the middle of a really heavy um, talk with each other, really, right. you know. And I was just fucking driving her mad. <laughs> This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. 
I love browsing your videos and pics and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. Fuck that. Welcome back, Podcats. That was Kathy Burke, of course. Huge thanks to her for uh, her time, her generosity, and her general outlook, I would say. She's someone who always cheers me up, makes me feel better about the world. Thank you very much for all your messages and responses to the Adam Buxton app, which has been, uh, well, it was more popular than we expected. So there was a uh, a period last week when everything seized up a little bit and got rather overloaded. We're trying to find out the best way to stream files, where to house the files, how much space we need, how much we need to pay to host the this, the that, and, you know. It's a learning process. It's a learning process. It's going to take a while for the process to get sorted out. But then by the end, you'll be happy about it. And everyone will be so grateful for the app, which has changed their lives for the better and enabled them to buy T-shirts and listen to jingles. Don't know why I did that, boys, to talk about the app. But anyway, that's all true, despite the voice. You know, there's been a few minor teething problems, but everything seems to be functioning more or less within correct parameters. So get on it if you haven't already. The app is free uh, and features a lot of my videos. It's kind of a way to just aggregate some of the um, things that I've done over the years. Lots of links to my favorite videos on my YouTube channel that I've done. And you can hear a lot of the jingles from this podcast And things will be added over the next few weeks and months. Bonus bits and pieces that you won't find anywhere else. Uh, The Johnny Marr Extra podcast is on there, for example. As we speak, that's free. You can support the app by paying 99 pence to watch a uh, brand new video made by animation genius Syriac for my like and subscribe jingle. And... That goes to help pay for the development and the upkeep of the app, etc. So really appreciate that. And, um, of course, there's the merch. Oh, coming up to Christmas. So you really should be loading up with T-shirts. Beautifully designed T-shirts by Luke Drozd and Helen Green. Mugs. uh, Beautiful limited edition prints specially designed for the podcasts, badges, 
pin badges. You can download EPs with my jingles, a ramble chat ringtone, uh, songs from back in the day, party pom-pom, royal wedding song. Oh, just great. Oh, it's great. So, you know, get on there. Have great, great fun. So in my intro, I referred to the fact that uh, I've been playing some more midlife crisis style rock and roll with my friends in the barn. You may have heard me talking to Miranda Sawyer about this a few weeks back. And well, we had some friends staying last weekend and uh, we all went to watch the fireworks and then decamped to the barn where we had a big it was a bit like a, a music therapy session in a uh, some sort of care home but uh, it was still hugely good fun and then the next day uh, some of us went back in there and started playing taking it a bit more seriously playing numbers through more than once to try and get them better and it was my friend Danny on lead guitar and and Vox Garth Jennings, friend of the podcast, he was over. He was playing drums, which he's only been playing for a year or so. But he's perfectly good enough for our purposes. And uh, who else did we have? My friend Dougie Payne was on bass and BVs. And you got buckles, of course, on tambourine, BVs and hobnobs. BVs are backing vocals, by the way. Just explaining if you're not part of the industry. You're welcome. And we played, uh, we played a good version of I'm Straight by The Modern Lovers. That's I'm Straight as in sober rather than anything to do with sexuality, by the way. We played a promising but not that good version of uh, Start by The Jam. There was good bits. We played a raggedy version of Alone Again or by Love. Dan was very good at the guitar parts for that, but the rest of us were less good <laughs> at supporting him. And we played a bad version of Billie Jean. I'm going to go with bad. We also had a go at the Rolling Stones track the last time, and I recorded a little bit of that on my phone to play to you guys, because in the past, when I've mentioned hanging out and playing with my pals, people have said, oh, what does it sound like? Well, this is what it sounds like. So, yeah, you know, it was fun, and that's the main thing. <sighs> Rosie, come on, it's getting dark. Let's head back. Oh, here she comes, the furbler. Hey, how you doing? Hello, dog dog. You having fun out there? Yeah. What do you think of the band? The best band in the world, playing the Rolling Stones. Embarrassing. Can I have a scritch scratch? Scritch scratch? I'm not sure it's appropriate to give you a scritch-scratch in the current climate. Hey, it's not cool to equate asking for a scritch-scratch with real stories of serious harassment, whether it's for comedic purposes or otherwise. Apologise for the pain you caused. All right, fair point. I apologise. So, 
You want to scritch scratch or not? Well, I'm lying on my back with my legs up and a pleading look in my eye. What do you think? Yeah, that's true, but I am the one that's actually doing your voice. So, you know, I don't want to assume too much here. How about this? Give me a scritch scratch, but don't be a creepy bastard about it. Can you manage that? All right, then. How's that? Yes. All right, let's go home. Thanks very much to Seamus Murphy Mitchell, my production point man, and Matt Lamont for invaluable edit whiz bottery on this episode. And thanks especially to you for downloading. Hope you enjoyed it. Till next time, we share the same sonic space. Please take very good care of yourself and of those around you. I love you. Bye!